we launched the company August and we were acquired in June by Supernary. So um, it was 10 months from, from launch to exit. And uh, so it was very quick. We were still students. That was our, our last year of university. And then the deal went through the same month as graduation. So um, it was very, very exciting. Un unfortunately, I, I didn't get to graduate like Harry. Yep. Today, we're learning from Harry Gestetner and Simon Pompen, who exited their business for $65 million in just 10 months. $65 million in 10 months! They'd started Fanfix, a platform that helps creators monetize their content. It's a bit like Patreon, but designed for Gen Z. Mobile first, multi-channel, video, that sort of thing. Harry, Simon, welcome to Secret Leaders. So I guess the place that I'll start is you guys are fucking young. So uh, you're young to be on Secret Leaders. You're young to have had an exit. Like, how did that all happen? Did you get lucky? Yeah, I think there's definitely always an aspect of luck. Uh, definitely always an aspect of timing. I think you can't control luck and timing that much. You kind of got to just do the work and and hope that you also get the luck and timing. So yeah, we, you know, we, 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 we did the work and then we also definitely got luck and timing as well. Good. We've got the modest English answer and over <laughs> for the bolder, more confident American one, please. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we were just persistent. Um, you know, we, we met a lot of roadblocks being young founders, whether that was raising money or uh, trying to build trust with managers, creators, whoever it may be. Um, but we just kept our head down and, and kept grinding away. Amazing. All right. So um, set the scene for us. Like, where did you guys meet? Why did you decide to start a company? Yeah. So we met in high school. So I moved out here uh, when I was 15 in 2015. And, and here um, is LA? Here is LA, correct. Um, and Simon and I went to the same high school. Uh, we were good mates from kind of right at the beginning. And uh, and then uh, kind of fast forward university, we were still friendly with each other and um, and, and, and COVID happened our second year. And so we all got sent home from school and, um, you know, thought we kind of had to do something. So we set up a charity called Fuel Our Heroes and they ended up scaling to the largest student organization during COVID. We had a team of about 140, raised about half a million dollars for healthcare workers all through kind of five, $10 donations from students. And all, that was all social media marketing. And so that was sort of the first company we started together, obviously in the nonprofit sector. And then we were working through ideas and saw a big opportunity. We saw TikTok growing massively and we saw my cousin blowing up on TikTok and, uh, and, and he got tens of millions of views. He got a ton of followers. He had a comment section full of fans, but he couldn't make any money. And we were quite shocked and thought there had to be a better way for creators to monetize directly from their most loyal fans. Hence, we, we got the idea for Fanfix. Tell me a little bit about, like set the scene for listeners. So TikTok, I guess, is one of the more common channels where people have this problem, right? Like I can say this as a brand owner as well, you know, when we're trying to measure what creators to work with and everyone's like, this person's got millions of followers on TikTok. I'm like, I'd personally rather have someone who's got 100,000 followers on YouTube because I just imagine that they could deeper and you know it's not as viral based they're usually built up over time and all of these different 
assumptions I have, but downstream of those assumptions as well is the people with big audiences on YouTube tend to also be raking in a lot more cash, a lot more predictably than the people on TikTok typically. So set the scene a little bit for us about the business problems with the different social platforms. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at TikTok, TikTok is an incredible platform to grow your following, discover new audiences and really add followers. Uh, but the creators who work best on fanfics are the creators with highly engaged audiences. So these are creators who grow their following on TikTok, but then can show they could pull their following across all of the social platforms, whether that be Snapchat, Instagram, into Discord community, uh, converting on long form content on YouTube or streams on Twitch, whatever it may be. Uh, those are the creators who who have the highest engaged communities and therefore drive the most ROI. Uh, and, and most conversions on our platform. Um, when you look at the large social media platforms, they have done an incredible job in building the discovery layer of the creator economy. So have done an incredible job allowing creators to grow their following, but in turn have failed in terms of monetizing the creators communities across their social platforms. And what we're focused about, what we're focused on is the monetization layer of the creator economy, where creators could grow their followings across all of their social channels, but then convert their followings into a cross-channel membership platform, i.e. fanfics, where they could really manage their communities and monetize their following across all of their social platforms. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the genesis of this idea. So you've clearly, like, you know, you've got the experience working together at university doing Fuel Heroes. You've created an opportunity for yourselves to understand that you know how to build some audience, you know how to create some kind of revenue, and you've done good. So that's a good tick in your life so far. You've got a cousin who's blowing up on TikTok. Uh, Harry, that was you, right? Correct. So yeah. yeah. So then what? Like, how does that turn into something that's actually even worth spending your time on? Yeah, so I think the the first sort of um, part of the scene set is that we'd had many businesses in the past that had uh, completely failed and, and not worked out. Yeah, this was not our first one. And I think we we saw the opportunity and we, you know, we'd speak to all these Gen Z creators and they'd say the same thing, which is, yes, I I, I need I want to monetize. That's my biggest problem. They would never join OnlyFans because they didn't want to associate their, their brand with, with the platform, you know, due to the sort of stigma and, and, and dirty aspect of the platform. And most of them didn't even know what Patreon was. So we saw a big gap in the market for a uh, Gen Z first, you know, clean brand friendly, mobile first, TikTok first, exclusive content platform. And so I think we, you know, really from speaking to creators, we we just kind of said to each other, we're going to go for this one. And uh, and we really thought it was a, a, a massive white space. And I think we were thinking through the, the, the sort of fundamental problems we'd had with our last businesses that had all failed. And I think the major thing was we just never really taken on any risk. We never had any skin in the game and, and we never really properly gone for it. The, the first kind of major thing we did was 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 kind of sign a contract. We, we thought, okay, so we need to build a product. We're non-technical. How do we build a product? Uh, we need to hire developers. We can't convince anyone to work for us. We don't even know how to hire people. So we got to outsource it. So, um, so we found, we interviewed development shops. We found a development shop to, to build the platform. Um, it was a six month kind of six figure contract that we didn't have the money for. And we thought, all right, well, we'll sort of blag a little bit that we do have the money. And then 
Um, you know, we'll, we'll sign the contract. We we know we can cover the first two payments ourselves, and then past that, we we just got to figure out a way to to raise this money. And so um, to sign a contract and uh, and manage to cover the first two ourselves, and then past that, took about we we got like a very small investment to cover the third payment, and then the fourth payment was very late on, and then almost at month five, we managed to raise kind of the the, the first uh, first capital to. To get the product built, and the developers very nearly cancelled the contract, but thankfully they didn't. And uh, and 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 then we launched Fanfix August 2021, and uh, brought on board Cameron Dallas, a co-founder. He's a he's a massive creator, and pretty immediately got traction, and uh, and and really kind of product resonated with the the Gen Z content creators, the sort of TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat type creator. And then fast forward, you know, ended up getting acquired in, in June 22 by Super Ordinary. So there's a couple of things I'm going to pull out there that you you picked up on um, or that, that you mentioned. The first is without that all in fear of what are we going to do in month three? Fuck, what are we going to do in month four now? It doesn't really sound like you'd have made it, right? Because you have to make something work in that reality and sounded like your other businesses were ones where you guys had ideas and stuff, but maybe pussy out like early on, which is very reasonable and very common, of course, because you just can't see how you're going to make it through uh, something which is quite black and white at the time, which is they need money. We don't have money. So what are we going to do? I do think there's this really interesting psychology of great entrepreneurs which is that you sort of psychotically go after it anyway, even though you basically know the writing's on the wall, you're literally doomed for failure. It's kind of all obviously written down in front of you and you still do it. And I recognize that as a very common trait. It's a very weird one. You know, no parents are going to teach you to do that. No school is going to teach you to do that. But that's kind of what you need to back yourselves in these situations sometimes. It's just that cold, hard belief in yourself. The second thing that I'm picking up on is this, um, the launch plan, realistically, which is like, yeah, there's the two of you, you've got together, you've managed to get through this hurdle, but you bring on a third co-founder who's a big creator. So how pivotal do you think that strategic decision was for you? Yeah, I think, so to to answer the, the first part of the question, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, risk is relative. I think what most of the great entrepreneurs have in common is just the way they um, you know, the way they see what what they're trying to do. I think people, bad entrepreneurs are sort of attached to solutions and just launch, just want to launch a product. I think the best entrepreneurs, they see a, a big problem and they just say, I want, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to take this, you know, next five to 10 years of my life to solve this problem, to figure this out. I will figure this out. They, they, and then they just go and launch things to try and solve the problem. And often it takes multiple iterations of, of the product to, to solve the problem, but they kind of, they know in their head that they are, they have fully committed and gone all in to um, to solving to solving that problem. So completely agree. On on the latter part, yeah, Cameron was, was amazing. He was definitely uh, extremely helpful. And I think the main problem we had was we were two, you know, 20 and 21 year old kids with, we were students, we had zero background in the creative economy. We had, you know, very little connections. We Honestly, I didn't really know any creators apart from my cousin, who was a one-hit wonder and um, and was not even a creator by the time we launched. Um, so, so we, you know, the main problem we need to figure out was how do we get creators and managers to trust this new platform? Because 
you can count on one hand the amount of uh, social media platforms creators use. It's it's like five. So Cameron was amazing, just being one of the sort of original. He was he was arguably the first creator. He was the first creator to properly monetize, and so he really legitimized the brand and and helped a ton getting those initial creators on. Yeah, and this was also a product that he wished existed when he was at the peak of his career. Uh, and he has really seen all the ebbs and flows of the creator economy in terms of how creators are monetizing their platforms and their following. So he was really bought in. And when he shared this vision with other creators in his network, managers, whoever it may be, it uh, really light a spark for us in, in going out there and onboarding creators at scale. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. What do you think the main product difference is? I'm sure you've brought it, brought it up. The main things that you uh, tackle with all the time are comparing yourselves to Patreon or OnlyFans. You very neatly explained, you know, mobile first and for Gen Zs. Is that the main? Is that the main thing? Like just being super confident on that product vision and the audience, or is there something more to it as well? And what do you think the actual challenges are? Like, why didn't Cameron go on, for example, Patreon? Yeah, I think the major thing and our fundamental differentiation in just how we saw this business and, and, and being non-technical, we kind of had no choice, but we did not see it as technical problem, which most founders do. We saw this as a brand positioning and, and marketing problem. And I think, you know, the, the major problem here was not that the tech stack didn't exist, like, the, you know, Patreon's a brilliant platform, you know, OnlyFans, like the, the tech is, is pretty good. Uh, so... I think the major problem was there was no platform that TikTok blew up so quickly, and um, you know, as a as a as a big company like Patreon or a big company you know like Facebook, you when you have product market fit, 
it's very difficult to take a risk on a new demographic or changing um, you know the sort of type of content on your platform etc and uh, and so they didn't and uh, and 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 that left a big white space and so we just came in and and, and marketed the platform uh, to Gen okay. Z sort of built the team you know by and for Gen Z everyone you know vast majority of our team still to this day are Gen Z themselves we have a huge amount of creators on the team and the I think creators sort of it resonated they saw it as very authentic and you know still they see our team members as their friends and uh and 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 that's kind of been our key differentiator yeah and i think when you think about like patreon um which is arguably the largest competitor in the space uh patreon just targets a very different demographic their desktop first platform the idea of being a patron donating to support uh we see more akin to the likes of a of a crowdfund um you know, and more akin to the likes of Facebook with with the types of creators they're going after. So it left incredible amounts of white space. Uh, and when you think about OnlyFans on the other end of the spectrum, uh, really the stigma associated with the platform, a lot of Gen Z creators don't wanna join the platform because one, the stigma, two, they lose out on high paying brand deals. Uh, three, you know, they don't wanna tarnish their reputation in any way, image, brand protection is so important to them. Uh, so really, we we provided a place for them to monetize directly from their following. I actually think it's a really interesting point of view that you guys have, uh, two non-technical founders just basically looking objectively at a space saying, these guys are that narrative. Those guys are that narrative. There's a lot of space for this narrative in the middle. So like you say, brand and marketing positioning. I think there's a lot to be said and a lot to be learned from founders that are listening to this and understanding that not everything needs to be a reinvention of a wheel. Sometimes actually there's just a lot of pent up demand not being met because of existing narratives essentially. And if you can break free from that and do so at speed, there's an enormous opportunity. Obviously the question would be like, is it enough to build a long-term moat? And for anyone that doesn't know the context of your guy's story, tell us the, uh, the whistle stop tour of just how quickly you started, raised money and exited like the big headlines. And then we'll go into some of the detail because I think it's pretty astonishing. Yeah, totally. I think first of all, on, on the moat aspect, there really isn't a moat in, in, uh, in sort of marketplaces. Uh, it's very difficult to have a moat in marketplaces. I, I really don't think um, it's possible. But I think the key differentiation just has to be your team and has to be, you know, how hungry your team is, how driven your team is and, uh, you know, and, and how adept they are to solving the problem that that, that uh, your users are facing. Um, yeah, so we launched the company August and we were acquired in June by Super Ordinary. So um, it was 10 months from, from launch to exit. And uh, so it's very quick. We were still students, kind of, that was our, our last year of university and, uh, and then the deal went through same month as graduation. So um, it was very, very exciting. Un unfortunately, I, I didn't get to graduate like Harry. Yeah, but, you know, why are you graduating? To get a job. Now you're already an exit founder. So I think you'll do okay. Exactly. How do you feel about that? Does that actually, is that something like in a sense of uh, ego or pride that you give a shit about? Uh, not, not really. I think at, at, at some point, uh, I'm about a year out from, from getting my degree. At some point, I'll probably get it done. Um, right. You know, I think I've learned so much more in the last two years building this business than all the years of school I've I've had since birth. So yeah, 
I like to think I'm, I'm, I'm still in college. So 10 months after launching, you sell to Super Ordinary. Disclosed amount? Undisclosed amount? Undisclosed amount. We can say it was in the tens of millions, but that's that's kind of what we could say. Fair enough. So tens of millions in revenue after tens of months, let's call it. And you had 15 million users. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty astonishing, really, in such a short period of time. I guess the question is, like, how did you guys, having gone from a bunch of failures, as you say, I'm sure like small scale failures that you can dust yourself off and try again, but still, how do you go from that cultural shift in mindset to, shit, this is working? I mean, the thing with product market fit, you know, and I've had product market fit before, you, you don't need someone to explain to you that it's happening. You like really heavily realize and know and your biggest problem suddenly is that you have product market fit. Um, so how do you deal with that? Like what, and, and you know, your relationship as well. How are you dealing with that stress together? Yeah, I think, I, I don't think you ever think it's working. Um, you know, still don't think it's working. And, and uh, I think, you know, first month of revenue, I was kind of showing people and and uh, someone was making intros for me and I kind of felt like a bit of a fraud because I was like, well, this isn't going to happen again. This is, you know, kind of a, a one-off. And then the next month it doubles and then, um, you know, the same thing. And then the next month it doubles again and it just keeps on going. And I think still, you know, every month you're like, oh shit, how are we going to, how are we going to go and do this again? Um, and now business has been around three years and, you know, we've been growing extremely consistently. So, 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 you know, by, by every metric it it is working, but but it, it doesn't, it never feels that way. Um, you're always putting out fires as a founder. Uh, but yeah, Simon, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we went about it by building an incredible team around us uh, who had been at these larger companies that have scaled very successfully. Uh, Harry and I like to always hire people smarter than ourselves. And, you know, they, our team has been absolutely amazing in one, continuing this constant growth that we see month after month, uh, onboarding new creators into our ecosystem on a daily basis, but two, really retaining the creators who enter our community, building those relationships with these content creators, building their trust as we become their main source of revenue. So I think just putting our heads down every day, continuing to add more creators into our ecosystem and uh, putting an emphasis on being creator first and building around our community. Yeah. So I guess the next logical question is when you got an offer to exit, like what happened? Take us through the emotional experience. Cause 10 months is like really barely long enough to even build a core team, let alone like be in negotiations for exit. So how quickly from the offer coming in to you being like, yep, we're taking that one. Were you, or did you have to like think about it for a while? Yeah, I think, uh, so we, we always, anticipated having an exit. I think we were very confident that was going to happen at some point. Um, uh, just That's a, just a, a level of self-belief you have to have as founder. We didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. And we were out raising and, and trying to raise. And, and one of the parties we were talking to was a big strategic, super ordinary. And they came to us and said, actually, you have to be majority for us. And so we kind of thought, all right. And then uh, and then they they just gave us a term sheet, and I I don't think we ever had an explicit conversation of should we take this. I think you know we we, we both this was really peak of the market, um, you know, beginning of 2022, uh, and uh, and I think you know we we knew that the you know the, the party of 2021 was 
uh, likely coming to an end and 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 this you're was you're prophets yeah in exactly. every in every sense of the word um <laughs> uh, i i think probably probably more luck there but uh but but yeah we 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 thought you know this would be life changing event for for us and our team and so um you know at a, at a very young age with 21 and 22 i think it, you know good to get a win under the belt and uh, and and i i, I post Acquisition. I think that's the hungriest. Personally, that's the hungriest I've ever been. I think having the end goal of every you know entrepreneur happen, which is an acquisition, um, really showed us that this like this is possible, and uh, and 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 actually um, uh, it's also worth it. So because um, I think when you're at the time, you know, at, at the time you think things are obviously difficult and nothing's easy and you're always putting out fires and it feels you know you're constantly getting rejections and it feels like you're rolling a boulder up a hill um and then i think an acquisition is just like a, a representation of um well a representation of the value your your users are placing in the product but then also um just uh really like just showed us it was totally worth it i guess what i can't say is like why why do you have more motivation post exit like why aren't you just sitting on like sitting in venice beach doing fuck all where, or, where or are you and you don't want don't want the new employees to know that's exactly what's going on uh we're we're builders uh we continue to scale the product we love what we do we love growing our team building relationships with our community members and we also see how impactful fanfix has been in the lives of our community um you know we recently did a poll of of some of our creators and asked what they're what are you using your fanfix earnings for uh and seeing some of these responses whether it was putting a down payment on a house, buying a car for my mom, paying for med school, paying for college. Um, I think the impact we're leaving, uh, especially with these Gen Z creators, allowing them to build sustainable recurring revenue streams uh, is, is super exciting for us. And we have built an incredible team that just continues to drive us every day and uh, really, really want to get Fanfix to even the next level uh, and, 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 and hopefully you know, IPO this business in the future, uh, or or you know, continuing to grow. And I also think if your if your goal is to retire onto the you know onto the beach of the business, then your end goal is money, and you're doing it for the money. I really, genuinely don't think you can you can, or at least you should, uh, you know, go and be a founder if if you're in it for the money. Um, it's it's really not the best way to make money. It really is not. There are there are way way easier. Um, well, being uh, a creator is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Right there. Um, there are much easier ways to make money, and uh, and you know we we were unique in in how quick this this happened. You know, ten months long exit. That that's extremely unique. But um, you know, but but often it takes founders five, ten, fifteen years, and um, really you got to go into it committed to um to doing what it takes even if it takes 5 10 15 years um so you really should not go into this for money because you earn nearly not in, in most circumstances you earn nearly nothing for many 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 years for a very low chance of a payday at the end and uh and and i think if you're in it for the money you'll quit before you get that most of the time yeah and i, I think it's worth noting i think Harry and I were one of the few founders who paid themselves absolutely zero for the first two years until the acquisition. And we were we treated the money in the bank like it was in our own wallets. Uh, and we were extremely frugal. 
um, and and extremely scrappy. And I think that's as a founder, that's how you always have to be on track for a hundred million dollars being paid out to creators by January. I think I read. So, um, or this time next year. Next year. Early 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 next next year. year. Early next year. All right. I mean, you know, we're not going to hold you to it. But the point is, revenue is crazy growing fast, right? So. The customer base is growing. The revenue base is growing. There's kind of this like exponential growth system. It sounds like it's you've got going on. Like, what's at the heart of that? Like, what is the engine driving that growth? Yeah, we we saw this space as um, as kind of a, a, a new space evolving. We we call it C to C, and obviously there was you know B to B, there was B to C. Um, everyone knows what those are. And then you know we saw this space as, as creator to customer, and creators are very unique in that. Uh, there's no cold start problem. Um, there's no chicken and egg problem, um, and uh, and they have really incredible network effects. Um, and and so Fanfix really tapped into that in an organic manner. So there was this incredible uh, flywheel where creators would join the platform. They'd post. They'd realize, wow, this could become my number one form of revenue. So they'd keep posting. It would become their number one form of revenue. They'd show, show all their creative friends how much money they were making, and all their other creative friends would, would want to come and, and join the platform. And obviously, um, you know, in posting, the creators were, were bringing their fans on as well. And um, you know, our CAC is near zero, so it, it, all of our growth has been entirely organic. We still have not spent money and, and paid. Uh, and and I think uh, it's very important in consumer to to get organic traction before you invest in paid, um, because you know lack of product market fit is not a problem you can spend your way out of. So um, so still, you know, Fanfix is entirely organic. And I think the product uh, was was really excellent and um, just simply made creators more money than any other product did. And so they kept on coming back and then they told all their friends about it. What is your proudest moment from like, or maybe you have one each, right? Your proudest moment from a creator? From a creator, I think... Um, we, we've had some incredible messages from creators of how they spend their money. I think, um, you know, one of them said to us last week, like, you know, fanfix is the difference between her living a life, you know, her, her working in a diner as she was doing beforehand versus her living a life where she's able to buy her mum a car and, um, and help pay off her parents' mortgage. So I think like that's an incredible example. We, we had a creator tell us recently that the fanfix is they're in medical school. They're trying to be a doctor and Fanfix is paying for their medical school. Um, we've also had, you know, a, a ton of, of creators kind of say they're using it to pay off student loans. Um, so there are some amazing, amazing use cases. So yeah, I mean, I was going to say uh, one of our creators who is using their Fanfix earnings to pay for medical school, which is something they've always wanted to do, but uh, never thought they had the funds to do so and were out looking for scholarships, couldn't get any. Uh, and now they're doing what they what they've always dreamed of. So talk to us a little bit about the creator economy. So some listeners, you know, are running. I mean, most of our listeners are running businesses. I know increasingly a bunch of entrepreneurs who are like, I don't know, I maybe I could have a turn at this creator gig after I've done my entrepreneur thing. And I know a lot that are doing it simultaneously and, you know, trying to learn how to be a creator whilst running a business. What are your like insights or top tips around like what the creator economy is it like is evolving into at the moment? Like where is the space going and what do people need to know about it? 
Yeah, so a huge portion of Gen Z aspires to be a creator when they grow up. And, um, you know, there are currently 50 million creators, supposedly. I actually think there are a lot more than that. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs projects that to compound at 20% year on year. So that would mean over, you know, over 150 million by, by 2025 um, or in the next five years, rather. So we are very bullish. We think the creator economy is the future of work. Um, I think especially with, um, you know, what, what, what the creator economy is in our eyes is people being able to monetize their passions. And I think especially with, um, you know, with, with, with AI and, and what, uh, you know, the, the potentially negative ramifications of AI on, on the workforce, the creator economy will be extremely, extremely important um, for humanity. Um, I think it's also important to note that the creator economy has vastly underperformed what people had anticipated, what VCs had anticipated, and um, and kind of most of the big players. If you look at you know the sort of cameos and the link trees, uh, those 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 companies have really struggled. And I think the the fundamental problem that companies run into is either and, and if you look at where the venture dollars were aggregated in the space, either they went to pure distribution plays like link and bio companies like Linktree, for example, who just couldn't monetize, or they went to um, kind of web three type companies who just saw it as an overly technical problem and built incredibly complex tools for basically for investors rather than creators and uh, and they couldn't get product market fit. I think the the simple thing that Fanfix focused on, and I think the simple thing that every creator economy company that has success will focus on is just just it sounds quite trivial to say but it's actually a lot more difficult than people think which is creating value for creators um i i can i have so many so many creator economy founders who've reached out to me with with a product saying how do i get creators on this how do i get creators on this i'm always like well have you spoken to any creators do they actually want this thing um and and in actual fact they've built an incredibly complex Web3 product that, that no one actually wants. So, at, at the end of the day, a lot of these companies are creating problems to be solved versus solving problems that currently exist for creators. Uh, and I think that that's what separated us is we took, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We didn't change consumer behavior. We knew, you know, fans wanted to pay for content, pay for early access, pay for community. Uh, and we built a platform for Gen Z creators and their fans. So, um, have you guys heard of the Sidemen? Yeah, yeah, we know the we team. Know well. We know the team very well, and uh, I'm advising their fund. Um, yeah, big, big fan of. Amazing. Guys okay, today. so, uh, so you'll know Jordan. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Jordan Schwarzenberger on the show a few weeks ago, he thought that the well, he said he thought the creator economy was actually coming to its end. The, the post-pandemic and TikTok audience are finding it much harder to build that loyal community uh, like YouTubers used to manage to do a lot easier. And one of his rationales and reasons for this as well, and, and I certainly see this, I have a consumer brand, we work with influencers, the price keeps going up, the engagement keeps going down, and certainly so do the clicks and everything else because of a variety of things, right? One is having to put a hashtag ad in front of everything. Two is things having to look and feel like ads more specifically and more obviously. Three, the platforms kind of work against you, like being able to actually follow through the tracking of like the success of these campaigns. But also like 
this is a space that's coming to some level of maturity and people are sort of rolling their eyes and basically there's this whole awkwardness of is that person selling out again like or is this actually an authentic thing and so finding the creator that actually authentically can sell something really meaningfully to their audience is also becoming super hard so those are some of the like you know macroeconomic realities of the way that audiences perceive what uh, creators are doing and jordan obviously had his slightly like nihilistic views on it as well what is your what is your rebuttal what's your thoughts on it yeah i think i mean look i think uh I think he's right that you know we're coming to a cataclysmic event in the creative economy. Um, I don't think that's an ending. I think it's a reset, and I think that reset is very welcome, and I think it's needed. I think you had um, you know pandemic, obviously a huge amount of creators. Um, you know TikTok essentially democratized celebrity, and a huge amount of creators popped up. A huge amount of um, you know ordinary people who sudden suddenly had um, a big following and had lots of fans. At the same time, you had rates go to zero, so brands were flushed with a lot of money, and so brands ended up driving up the price of everyone wanted to get into the creative economy. Brands ended up driving up the price of um, you know promotional posts and the price of linker bios, for example, to astronomical, totally unjustifiable rates. And uh, and then at the same time you had you know these AdSense programs kind of uh, paying out crazy amounts of money. Um, so what that did was you know it 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 sort of set an artificial uh, level at which the creator would be interested in doing anything. Um, and so that meant that the whole this 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 whole generation of creator economy startups, most of them failed because they couldn't get creators to do things. And the reason those creators wouldn't do things is because they'd be paid so much money elsewhere for everything else. I think what we're seeing now is rates have come up, obviously. And so um, brand marketing budgets have gone down and AdSense programs have gone down. And there's a significant decline in um, in creator revenue from from both brand deals and, and AdSense. Um, which which we always thought was going to happen was always our thesis, as well as um, way more supply, and, more creators entering the space, and supply. Um, but also at the same time, you have you know algorithms kind of slowing down. People aren't growing to the same level they were. People aren't sort of popping up as quickly as they were and blowing up as quickly as they were. Um, so I think uh, Jordan's right in that you know like something has to give. We're we're, we're seeing um, really an ending of kind of what. What once was um, uh, the, the the ecosystem, uh, but I think it's actually extremely exciting because it's going to create a huge amount of opportunity for startups to to come into the space, and uh, and I think um, you know in five years there are going to be a huge amount more creators, and I think those creators are going to be uh, monetizing in incredibly unique ways that, um, that that we haven't seen yet. And yeah, just to add on to that, you know, as these brand budgets dry up and more creators enter the space and they're unable to monetize directly from brands to the same level they were before, they're all looking for new ways to monetize. And that has played into the growth of fanfics where creators need more sustainable monetization streams. You know, a creator who was making $10,000 a month off brand deals is now making $2,500 a month on brand deals and needs to find a way to pay their rent. So that that all these factors have helped fanfics continue to grow and onboard new creators into the ecosystem. 
Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense, right? The thesis around uh, diversifying revenue streams because, and again, I'm saying this from literal experience, it is not possible for most brands to get anything near ROI paying what creators want, which is so frustrating for the consumer brands as well that want to work with those creators. And how and valuable is brand awareness? How, how much are brands willing to pay for brand awareness without ROI? It, exactly. And how many businesses, by the way, have like gone out of business in the last six to nine months as a result of not being prudent enough? So no shade on the creators like mate hey while the sun's while the sun shines and like absolutely ride every wave like you'll never hear me criticize anyone for being opportunistic and taking cash out and every opportunity they really should like i think that is absolutely what people should do but yeah like the reckoning of that all is definitely coming because i know for myself and other uh, and other consumer brands like you literally can't um work with people and pay those rates and expect to get nothing because your brand will die and so on mass you know if you remove out the nikes and the l'oreal's who will pay whatever you want there's only a few creators that can work with those brands too so it just creates this like you say cataclysmic event the question is what happens in the aftermath and where is this space going from there so yeah that creates a really big opportunity for fanfics but what else do you actually see being sort of the the trends and where the space is going? Yeah, I think we're seeing a shift towards community. If you look at the recent news from Patreon pivoting their entire platform, if you look at the growth of Kajabi, uh, these more community-focused tools, uh, a lot of creators are seeing the value in being able to manage their communities off of the large social platforms where they can monetize their communities and have you know a direct form of communication, whether that's using text blast announcement style or uh, utilizing a, a CRM for email marketing. You know, we're seeing creators diversify their focus away from the large social platforms and to their, you know, to, to more ownership and, and, and management over their communities off their platforms. So at this point, what is your thesis for uh, how the creator economy could completely blow up and become everything in its wildest dreams you ever hoped it would be and what could kill it what could stop it in its tracks and actually revert it all the way back to something completely different because it just doesn't work anymore yeah i think um what could be a massive tailwind is ai and i think you know there is a there is a scenario um for for you know for for good or bad i mean people can argue it either way but there is a scenario in which just humans don't have to work to the level that we've had to for the past few hundred years. Um, and uh, and we have a lot of time on our hands. And I think what that is going to um, sort of create is a huge amount of people who want to pursue their passions and monetize their passions. And that is, um, you know, the, the main way to do that is through creating content. So, um, you know, if you're, for example, uh, uh, you know, a, a lawyer who, um, you know, your job's disrupted by AI and it's now an LLM doing a job, um, but your passion was guitar, you know, you'll you'll turn to creating content about, um, you know, sort of making music and, and, uh, and, and coaching people, other people on how to learn guitar. So um, I think whether whether that's a an exciting reality or a scary reality, I, I don't know. 
Um, but I but I think it is a reality. I think um, I think that, that that's a likely uh, ending in the you know the, the sort of AI boom we're, we're we're seeing now. I think what could kill the creator economy is I think the creator economy exists due to a failure of the large social media uh, platforms to you know uh, value the creators and treat the creators well and treat the you know the, the, the customers well as well um, I think you know but what what could kill the creator economy is if uh, you know if they really sort of flex their weight and and try to uh, you know shut every creator economy com- company down as, as as they they often are trying so um, so I think you know the platform risk is huge in the space. Yeah, pl- platform risk is everything. We saw recently there were some rumors about Instagram removing LinkedIn bios, re- removing the ability to link to to a link tree, um, which would really hurt creators who want to showcase their links and their platforms across all their social channels. So I think platform risk is is definitely the main thing that could kill the creator economy. So um, you guys are, you know, a a year or so into your exit, you're like smashing targets. You are uh, growing very impressively in this space. What does the future look like? What are you trying to build? Yeah, I think we want to be the monetization layer for the creator economy. And I think, you know, the last generation of $100 billion companies were, uh, you know, were, were discovery platforms that put creators last. We think the next $100 billion company is going to be a, in the creator economy, is going to be a, uh, a monetization platform that puts creators first. And so, you know, FanFix aspires to be the monetization layer for the creator economy. I see you've, you've literally said it so well that Simon doesn't even have any feedback. Just accept it. It's done. Okay. Talk to me about the worst moment you guys have experienced in your journey so far and feel free for it not to be the same one. I think, you know, one, one of the worst moments in our journey was after we spent eight months building out the product, uh, even longer than that. And we finally got to launch date expecting, you know, big launch, big announcement on product hunt. Uh, we put it all over our social channels. We told all of our friends to post about it. Zero dollars, zero transactions. Day two came around, zero transactions. And it took us about, what was it, 60 days? Yeah, it's about three months. We, three we months. Say, we say we launched. We officially we launched in August. We really put the product out there in in June. Yeah, we put the product out there in it. June and and couldn't transact. We couldn't get a creator to make money on the platform. We brought on a bunch of creators, had them post about their fanfix profiles, and nothing. Uh, so I think right away, Harry and I looked at each other and we said, you know, we have all this risk. We have spent all of this money. We have taken on money from outside investors and you know people who really bought into us as founders and into the business and the vision and just nothing. Harry and I just looked at each other and we continued to, to onboard creators at scale. And that's when we went out and we brought on Cameron Dallas uh, a, a, as a co-founder because you know we knew we needed better quality creators. Uh, we knew we needed to onboard creators without paying them to join. And, you know, I think that was that was probably the scariest moment. I don't know if it was the worst moment, but the scariest moment was when we launched and there was nothing. For me, you know, we, we when we were first raising, we really struggled to raise the money. I think raising money is not something they teach you in school. And also, um, you know, getting getting rejection at scale is not something 
you can really prepare yourself for. And I think we had over 100 meetings and I mean, literally over 99% of those were, were no's. And it's especially when, you know, you have this vision and you, and, and no one, just no one buys into it. They, you know, they all think you're wrong and they are all essentially, you know, betting against you. I think that that was extremely painful. And when your company's about to die, when you have a couple of months runway left, it's very easy to kind of slip into victimhood and, um, you know, get very angry. But I think the great entrepreneurs, you know, use the rejection and use the, the fear of failure as fuel. And, uh, and you know, and, it, and, it, and I think it makes them rather than breaks them. I think it's very well said. And the rejection piece is like absolutely something so many founders will relate to. In fact, it'd be really annoying if you were sitting here and uh, with your exit within one year and didn't have the rejections or the fear, I think it'd be very hard to like you after that, guys. Okay, so you'll obviously have people like yourselves, well, sort of like yourselves. I mean, sort of like you, uh, Simon, uh, still in uni, still in uni, not in uni, can't really decide, going to graduate one day, like that in between space. But we'll have people who are in uni and college and looking to start a biz. So people earlier in their journey, what is your advice for them? I think risk increases exponentially. So go for it as young as you possibly can. The risk profile is incredibly different at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, single with, you know, living with your parents and uh, and food provided for, you know, than it is when you're, uh, you know, in your 40s with kids and a mortgage. So, uh, you know, my, my advice would be just go for it as long, as young as you possibly can. You know, I would echo Harry, take risks when you're young. You know, I think it's very important. I always say fail fast, iterate quickly, um, you know, continue to try new things, when it doesn't work, pivot. Uh, and if you continue to do that and you're building along, you know, a strong vision, you're solving a problem that actually exists, you know, take 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 the leap. Yep. It's the only failure if you don't learn from it. Uh, you guys seem like you've learned quite a lot in a short period of time. So massively looking forward to continuing watching the journey of FanFix grow. And both of you as well, as I'm sure you continue to fail a lot upwards at the very least and continue to grow that into the next big creator economy business worth hundreds of millions as per the ambition. So guys, thank you so much for coming on Secret Leaders. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please write us a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a real difference and we genuinely love reading what you think. We read every single review. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. And we'll be back next week with more lessons for entrepreneurs and leaders. This episode was produced by Alex Graham, Ruth Edwards, and all brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolomon. See you next time.